Hello you, I'm Sarah. This is What on Earth. We do sustainability nice and easy. We take you through the past, present and future of environmental topics. And this is the last episode of the season. We've covered air pollution and periods. Last week, we did a fabulous episode on fast fashion. Don't worry if you haven't heard it because you'll still be able to understand this one without listening. But do go and check it out later. It's not to be missed. Thank you so much for listening to the first six weeks of this season. We're doing much better than we expected, so thanks for listening. Uh, Keep telling your mates about us. Keep subscribing and giving us a big five stars on iTunes. We love you. This week, as it's the last episode of the season, we decided to tackle the mammoth topic of climate change. This is a tough one because there are so many different angles to approach it from, but we think that despite all the coverage in the press over the last year or so, you'll hopefully take away something positive rather than being left with a big feeling of impending doom and a need to stock up for the apocalypse. In this episode, we're going to speak to two brilliant guests, our very own Truen Resterick, the CEO of Hubbub. If there's any doubt or if there's anything that they can pick on to sow the seeds of uncertainty, they do that. So they exactly copied what they did with tobacco. And the presenter of Me versus Climate Change on BBC3, Swazi. I think for me, in my community, on my WhatsApp chat, I'll be real, climate change doesn't pop. But first, we wanted to get into what climate change actually is. And please forgive us if you know all of this already, but sometimes there is so much noise about climate change that it's really easy to forget what the basic principles actually are. So I went to our pals at the Met Office for this one because they are the people who know what they're talking about and they describe the history of climate change like this. Since the mid-1800s, humans have contributed to the release of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the air. This causes global temperatures to rise, resulting in a long-term change to our climate. In the 11,000 years before the Industrial Revolution, the average temperature across the world was stable at around 14 degrees Celsius. Then, the Industrial Revolution began in the mid-1800s. This is when humans began to burn coal, oil and gas, also known as fossil fuels. Burning fossil fuels produces energy, but also releases greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous monoxide into the air. Over time, really big quantities of these gases have built up in the atmosphere. Once in the atmosphere, greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide form a blanket around the Earth. And we all know what blankets do. They keep you warm. The blanket traps heat from the sun and causes the Earth to heat up. Now, this is where it gets bad because the heating up is causing some major problems for the planet, including melting ice caps, sea level rises, habitat destruction and an all-round bad time for Mother Earth and her occupants. So why has it taken us so long to do anything about it? I spoke with Truin, who is an incredibly knowledgeable person about climate change, uh, and he's also my boss. My name's Truin Restrick. I'm the CEO of Hubbub. And we're here to talk about the past of climate change. So you've been working in the industry quite a long time. Where did you kick off? So for me, uh, I started at Friends of the Earth in the 1980s. And it was a really enlightening time because uh, there was this amazing uh, energy campaigner called Simon Roberts. Uh, And one day he wandered into the office with this blue report, I still remember it, with something called the greenhouse effect. And it was like, climate change is going to be a thing that's happening. And we were like, what is this stuff? And it was just 
uh, sort of real eye-opener that, you know, the science had already started, people knew what was going to happen, and I think it was the first time that anybody I'd certainly seen had pulled it together and talked about the greenhouse effect and, and what happens to the environment if we put more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So why do you think it's taken so long from that time in the 1980s to now for us to still be having the same conversation? There's a whole host of reasons. I mean, first of all, it's scary. And I think people were like very doom and gloom and and people are really sceptical about stuff that looks that scary. So I think, first of all, people just didn't want to take the message. It wasn't a palatable message. Second thing, it's very complicated. So the scientists were talking about it as like, this could happen, that could happen. And scientists have to do that. That's their job. So there's always a like it might not happen. And, you know, when you've got something scary and somebody says, oh, but there's a tiny percentage chance it won't happen, everybody goes, oh, well, it won't happen. I think the third reason was it was all couched in terms of the future, you know, in the next 20 years, in the next 30 mm. years, you know, and I don't know what you were like doing exams, but, you know, or revision or, you know, writing an essay. It's like <laughs> you always leave it to the very last minute to do stuff. Uh, and I think everybody did that. So it's like, oh, we can put it off. But then much more fundamentally, how do you address climate change? There has to be intervention. There has to be government intervention. Mm -hmm. There has to be regulation. And, you know, that doesn't play well with uh, certain parts of the right wing who are all about laissez-faire and not taking control. And the other interest groups is the very wealthy fossil fuel producers. Mm -hmm. So the oil industry, the oil companies, you know, the last thing that they possibly want is something that's going to undermine the basis of their business model. And they've got a track record on this. You just look at what they did around tobacco. If there's any doubt or if there's anything that they can pick on to sow the seeds of uncertainty, they do that. So they exactly copied what they did with tobacco, which was like, oh, well, you know, the health is only this percent or that percent. Doctors smoke it, so it's safe. (laughs) And and that's exactly what they've done with climate change, which is wherever possible, sow the seeds of doubt. And there's vast amounts of money going into doing that. So, you know, it's quite a lot of things to, uh, to get across. And what was the kind of reaction at that time when you were trying to talk to people about climate change? How are people responding? I don't think they really did respond. I, th- mm. I, I mean, I think there's always been a scientific community that absolutely gets it. There's a few enlightened policymakers that get it. And then there's the hard, dark green environmentalists got it and started to say, this is a concern. And I think there's been a momentum of change. I mean, for politicians, this is something you don't want to touch, mm. you know, because it's maybe short-term pain for long-term gain. That's not really where most politicians want to be. They're looking at three to five year sort of voting cycles. So climate change doesn't operate like that. Um, But I think what started to happen uh, in terms of why things are changing, first of all, businesses have started to see the impact. You know, so when a business that relies on water, Mm -hmm. say like a Nestle, suddenly thinks, oh, actually, that water supply is not as robust as we thought it would be. Or, you know, the agricultural industry, sort of like the coffee industry, suddenly realising that a very small percentage degree of change in in climate has an effect on coffee. Mm -hmm. Then they start to get concerned. And I think some of the more enlightened businesses thought, we just cannot keep going on like this. So they started to talk about it. and, And that started to create change as well. So other than the fact that time is running out and 
it might be more profitable for companies. Is there anything else that you think has changed that means we're now able to have this conversation without people running away and hiding? Well, I, I think the, the really big change, and research backs this up time and time again, is that people are seeing it. Mm. Um, you know, so we're seeing the impact of climate change. We're seeing more extreme weather events, hurricanes. Uh, we're seeing drought. We're seeing excessive flooding. And we're seeing ice ice cap melt and sea level rise. And and I think when people, you know, you hear it in the common conversations now, don't you, which is the weather never normally used to be like this. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, if you if you live in, say, Cumbria, and your house has been flooded, you know, at a one in a hundred events, sort of two or three times in five, ten years, then you're like, ah, this this is not right. I think people are really starting to see it. And of course, the people who are seeing it most are the insurance industry, because they suddenly have to pay out stacks of money for natural disasters. I didn't even disasters. think about that. Yeah, so last, last year, the insurance business faced the most expense ever through natural disasters. And you just think about the ramifications of that. Mm-hmm. So insurance premiums are going to go up or insurance companies will say, I'm just not going to insure you. Because you know. you're in a climate unsafe area. Exactly. Or, yeah. you, know, um, you know, if your house has been flooded three times, will you still get insurance? And, and you know, that really brings it really home to yeah. you, which is, blimey, I can't insure my house because it could be flooded mm-hmm. more frequently. And when that starts to happen, people think, ah, this is real. Is there something that gives you hope that things are going to change now that we are having this conversation? Well, it's a completely mixed view, isn't it? I mean, you know, you just have to look at what Greta's achieved. It is in the common sort of vocabulary. You know, we're talking about it a lot. But the environmental world has always has this brilliant thing. It's called the value action gap, which is like people say certain things and believe certain things, but then doing something about it is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the government has declared a climate emergency and they'll do bits around it. But, you know... What are they going to do about the really difficult stuff for them, like Heathrow or mm-hmm. expansion or fracking? You know, so they can shine a sort of spotlight on this, the good stuff, but they've got to stop doing stuff as well um, to really address change. So I think it's great that it's in common language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're seeing certain countries, strangely, people like China doing huge amounts because they're really quite worried about air quality they're really worried about water availability mm-hmm. so you know there are certain countries that, that are, are really acting on it investing huge in electrification and stuff like that but then of course you look at the states and you look at brazil uh and you know what they're doing to the rainforest there and you know trump it's it's a really mixed picture so am i optimistic i'm always optimistic but if if i if my sort of head came into it rather than my heart it's like it's looking gloomy so that was a little bit about the history of climate change and before we really begin with what's happening right now in the world and what we need to do about it i thought i would take you on a whistle stop tour through climate denierism and why the things they say aren't true in case that bloke kevin comes up to you at a party again and asks you why he really needs to recycle when it's all just part of earth's natural rhythms leave us alone kevin I've got the three things that climate deniers say quite a lot and our producer Ross is going to play the part of Kevin, our climate denier. Hi, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> OK. It's cold outside. That's proof global warming isn't real. This is my favourite one. There can't be global warming because it's freezing in LA. 
wildly untrue. This is where we need to talk about the difference between weather and climate. Weather is what's happening today. If it's snowing outside or if it's sunny, that's weather. Climate is what happens to that weather over a really long period of time. So while it might be cold one day, the trend could still mean the climate is getting warmer over many years. Yeah, but it's all part of Earth's natural rhythms. Oh, Kevin. Yes, there are natural cycles caused by volcanoes, the sun, CO2 levels and the Earth's orbit. However, global CO2 emissions from human activity have increased over 400% since 1950 due to human activity, and there is no way this is part of the normal cycle of things. There are more of us on this planet than ever before, living in entirely new ways and using up a huge amount of the Earth's resources in ways they've never been used before. Yeah, but I'm sure a tech genius will come along with a CO2 hoover and suck all the carbon out of the sky. Hate Kevin. Don't you just hate Kevin? Kevin is the worst. <laughs> uh, okay, so yes, to keep warming at safe levels, some kind of CO2 removal from the atmosphere is going to have to happen. And there are people who are developing that technology, which is super cool. But, and this is the best way I've heard it described to me if your bath is flooding, then to clean up the bath, you need to turn the taps off to deal with the mess rather than just leaving the taps on and cleaning up the water that's continuously flooding out of your bath forever and ever. So we have to turn off the taps, stop pumping greenhouse gases into the environment while we deal with the damage. If Kevin or someone like him approaches you at a party, just put on this podcast and leave him to it. And that is all for today's section of climate nonsense. But if you do have a favourite climate denier story that you want to send me, then you can email me at hello at hubbub.org.uk. Winter is coming and I need something to giggle about. So next up, we're going to be talking to Swazi. She has a brand new series on BBC Three called Me Versus Climate Change. It's amazing. Go and check it out. Hi, guys. My name is Swazi McKelly. I'm a radio presenter over at KISS. I hold down the Saturday morning show from 6 to 9 a.m. So if you're up that early, come rock with me. And I also am the young voice of BBC Sounds. Um, so BBC Sounds, music, radio, podcast. If you hear that, that's basically No me. way. That's you. <laughs> yeah. And congratulations on your show yes I've just done a documentary my first documentary with BBC called Me Versus Climate Change um, it's a four part doc really giving up the, the stats and life hacks of all that you kind of need to know um, on how to live a climate friendly life it was brilliant I'll put links in the description so you can go and watch it thank if you, you. Do. Um, so how did you get into it what got you interested in climate change yeah so originally um, I pitched the idea of, of like a day in the life of Swazi but her plastic life and just thinking about all the different bits and bobs that we use um, that's that's wrapped up in plastic really and so um, just just investigating that sort of angle really opened up a world of okay well it's not just plastic and sometimes it can just feel as though it's only about plastic and that's where the dead end is um, but knowing that the Beeb wanted to explore four areas of your life like like party life and food and um, tech and just things that I just did not reconcile with climate change so for me it was an adventure and so I should just say I'm no expert guys don't don't come knocking on my door for like I don't know what else to do about you know just the whole world because it can feel overwhelming but just you know on your day-to-day life what can you do what can you swap out um, to make a difference and it does go a long way and what was the best thing that you learned when you were on that adventure yes 
I think what I learned was climate change has everything to do with convenience. Um, and so for me, it wasn't so much about, um, yeah, like I think for me in my community, on my WhatsApp chat, I'll be real, climate change doesn't pop. Like we're not sending memes about climate change and, <laughs> and, and the planet. And I think, but a lot of the conversation overlaps into areas that the doc explores. And so what you find is you're talking about climate change without necessarily... Um, knowing that you are right and so um yeah a lot of it has to do with convenience so one episode one of my favorite episodes is all to do with trainers and yeah. how you keep your crepes icy white so fashion wise everyone's big on fashion you always want to look the part but looking the part within culture today means wearing one outfit once posting the picture getting the likes and then binning it and you're like no this is actually a cool outfit and i want to recycle this and wear this again um and a lot of that has to do with trainers so well you know crepe protect is a is is a great brand that helps you keep your, keep your trainers clean. And I didn't realise that if you keep buying trainers, not only does that hurt your pocket, but it hurts the planet. Like, it's costly to do that in terms of production and where things are made and everything. So, yeah, again, convenience was a huge thing that I learned through the documentary. And once people reckoned with that, I think people realised, oh, OK, if I can give up what may feel inconvenient and change it and substitute it, then that is a huge step forward when we're talking about climate change. And why do you think it's something that people aren't really talking about at the moment? It's like something that's not on everyone's radar. I think because the V word is a new swear word, the word vegan. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think the minute you talk about climate change, you have buzzwords like plastic and vegan and whole foods and waitrose and avocados are expensive, guys. So it comes with a lot of money costs. Um, and where I come from, I suppose it's not, that's not the first on our agenda. In, in in even having the conversation, you have to push through and get in the room where we don't feel represented. And so to now be in the room, you're kind of like, oh, you're talking about food, but my nan has been grating carrots and cutting up garlic and shopping in markets and being very sustainable. But where she comes from in Mauritius, they're poor. So they don't call it sustainable living they call it living like that is how you live um and so where you, when when you come from a background where you just see your family or you do things that are are now considered cool and trendy and you know fashionable you're just thinking oh guys like come round and have dinner on <laughs> sunday like <laughs> you can clean with lemon you know it ain't gonna kill you and it's like how do you use all the little tricks and gems that your family have taught you and that you've seen growing up um, and when you see it on the front page of magazines you feel almost um, robbed of where culture has now become cool but your grandparents have been doing it from day dot so um, yeah I think that's uh, that plays a huge part and every every culture has something to give right every every culture has something to offer so um, when everyone brings that to the table that's why the doc feels really fun because you've got basketball players to mm. um, like my aunt and my nan and everyone generationally that have come the to the conversation <laughs> the food one yeah. I think everyone's like I was hungry after that <laughs> and like the, the best thing is I'm not vegan like and I don't have to shop in Waitrose and I don't have to um, have two avocados every week to be climate friendly. I can live a life when I recognise where my convenience and my comfort zones are. Um, and then bringing on other conversations as well helps me to live live better for the planet. So what do you think happened next and how do we get everyone to go on this same kind of journey that you've been on? I think set yourself the challenge, you know. I think the doc is great in that it's all about challenges.
ages. It's all about life hacks. When I realised, when I clocked it was about convenience, I was like, I love YouTube hack shows. Yes. Like, you know when they're like 33 ways <laughs> to do such and such and your mind is blown thinking, I'm a whole adult and I've gone through life not knowing this. But you can lose hours. Like. <laughs> you can lose hours. <laughs> and then the tech episode dropped and they were like, yeah, you need to share your tech life with friends because like, even streaming videos has an impact on the planet. So where you're tempted to feel like, oh, give me a break. Like, I can't even escape any of this. Um, I think the challenge is what can you do and then offer to other people to say, mission accomplished. I tested it. I tried it. It worked. And it's a win for the planet as well. I think if you can weave your world and the climate friendly world together, it doesn't feel like a chore. Don't you love Swazi? We love Swazi. It was amazing being able to talk to her. Don't forget to check out her show. But now we're going to take a trip into the future. There isn't a lot of time to take action on climate change. We need to make big changes to the way we live today in order to make a difference. Sticking our heads in the sand or building an end of the world hideaway won't help. So what can we really do? These are my three bits of advice for what you can do today to take action on climate change. Uh, so the first one is to close your value action gap. You heard Truen talking about it. It's when we say that we're going to do something, but maybe actually in real life it's quite difficult and we don't really want to put the time in. Uh, so if we can start closing that gap, that means that we're going to be taking huge action on climate change. The second one is to pick one thing that you really care about, whether it's sustainable eating or sustainable fashion or you really want to start driving less and taking public transport. If you take the train rather than taking the plane on a holiday, choose one thing and start with that so it doesn't feel overwhelming. And the third thing is to tell people about it. Talk to your friends, write to your MP, let people know this is an issue that you care about and let the brands that you buy stuff from know that you care about climate change and you want them to make a difference. This episode might come across as a bit intense and a lot of the time we feel defeated and deflated by the sheer size of the issue of climate change, especially when the people who are supposed to be representing us are ignoring one of the biggest issues on the planet. But there is so much that you can do. Please do not feel disheartened. Take all of the top tips from this series and go and change your routine. Try something new. You'll probably like it. Thank you so much for listening to the first season of What on Earth. We would quite like to make another one. So if you have any suggestions for things that you think we should be covering in Series 2, send them in. Otherwise, there might not be a Series 2. The ball's in your court, pals. If you have any questions off the back of this about climate change and what you can do, then you can get in contact with us. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can email me. If you suddenly have a burning question about climate change that you need answered on a Sunday, just pop me a message. We can talk about climate change. And if you still need your sustainability fix, you can find me on YouTube, where every couple of weeks we put out a brand new video investigating an environmental topic. This has been loads of fun. I've had a great time. I hope that you have too. And hopefully we'll see you in season two. Bye.